any of you guys who are able to come to the men's retreat this weekend, don't cop out. Come to the men's retreat this weekend. It's just Friday to Saturday. We're, leaving. we're going up after work on Friday. We're coming back Saturday afternoon. So it's not like a long retreat. Um, you know, when I was growing up, it's so awesome to live in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, right? Do you, I hope you understand. If you feel guilty this morning, that's not God. I hope you know that. If you feel guilty this morning, that's not God. That's not how he works. If you feel conviction, that's God, right? That's how God works. He's a good parent. He's the best parent. And he, like any loving parent, is careful, the Bible says, to discipline those that he loves. So when you're screwing up, right, or when you're involved in something or doing something or there's something going on in your life, uh, for me, I talk about this all the time, you know, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, the hours of self-loathing, you know what I mean? When I'm awake in bed going, I'm a terrible husband, I'm a terrible father, you know, and all the things that, and, 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 and all of these things that come to mind, because it's godly conviction. There's always more that I could be doing. There's always more probably that I ought to be doing, and there's plenty of things that I ought not to be doing, right? We all know this about ourselves. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser who accuses uh, the, the brethren, the people of God, before the throne of God day and night. He is the accuser. He is the one that makes accusations, and he loves to throw accusations at you. He loves to throw shade your way. He wants to discourage you. Godly conviction is that thing that happens within your heart when God is speaking to you about something in your life from the standpoint of, I want to encourage you to do the right thing. I want to encourage you to stop doing the thing that is detrimental to your life, that is detrimental to your faith, that is detrimental to your family, that is detrimental to, most importantly, your walk with Christ. And that's how God speaks to us, and that's how God comes alongside us. But make no mistake, make no mistake, he wants us to immediately acknowledge that he's speaking to our hearts, acknowledge that the things that he says are in our lives are wrong are wrong, the things that he says in our lives that are right are right, that he is always right. The Bible says, let God be true, right? And every man a liar, and I, I hate to break this to some of you, but that includes you. Right? You ever stand and look at yourself in the mirror and go, you liar. Right? Have you ever lied to yourself? Hello? Right? We lie to ourselves. We make agreements with ourselves. It's okay to do a little of this because of blah, blah, blah. And listen, we have this superstitious nature. I don't know if it's our culture. I don't know where it comes from. But we have this superstitious nature that if I'm open with my sin, if, I'm, if I allow God to fully expose every aspect of rebellion and sin in my life, whether I know about it or I don't know about it, that therefore I'm going to be condemned before him and God's going to be done with me. God's not going to speak to me. Bad things are going to come my way. That's not how God works. God wants you to be completely open and honest for you. That's what God, when Jesus says, unless you humble yourself and become like a child, you will in no ways enter the kingdom of heaven. What he was talking about is the fact that a little child does not have that guile within them, that flattering tongue. If you look ugly, your kid will say you look ugly. If you look fat, your kid will say you look fat, right? And, and, and that's just the nature... Now, don't say those things to God, but God wants you to come to him as you are. God wants you to come to him with all of your faults, 
with all of the things that are inside of you, good and bad, and be open before him. That's how he comes in. That's how he has communion with us. And, and you know, dad was, uh, growing up, I mean, I'll, I'll make my gosh, that do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as some have become accustomed to doing, you know, and dad, I don't know, probably said that verse uh, 8 billion times. I mean, hammered that in our heads growing up. And, and for, for, for many years, uh, I always had that within my head. If you're a good Christian, you go to church. If you're a good Christian, you go to church. If you're not a good Christian, you don't go to church. But that's not what church is either. I hope you know that. This hopefully is for you an oasis or an aid station or a schoolhouse a place of fellowship, a place of like-mindedness. This is for you. It's for you. It's not against you. So anytime that we gather together, whether it's in church on Sunday morning or Bible study Wednesday evening or the men's retreat or the women's retreat or the adult dinner night out, these are things that God has given the church so that we might have fellowship one with another. Make no mistake about it. And, and, and those of you who work a secular job 40 a week and you got a smartphone those two, or go to school and have a smart, those two prerequisites is all it t- takes for you to know and understand that the enemy that the Bible calls the prince and the power of this era or of this present age is at work to divide us. Yeah? To divide us. Whether it's dividing you from your neighbor, or dividing you from uh, another group of Christians, or dividing us within the church, or dividing us within our own homes. You've heard the the, the, the phrase, divide and conquer, right? The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion that roams about seeking out whom he may devour. And if you've watched National Geographic and you've seen how lions hunt, they try to find the weakest, the smallest, the youngest, the sickest, and get them away from the herd because there's protection within the herd. Whether it's the water buffalo or the... Don't you, get, don't you cheer when the, when the water buffalo gets the lion? Every once in a while, the wildebeest gets the lion with the horns, and the lion goes flying, flipping in the air. Yeah, there's one for the wildebeest, you know. But they get, you see, they get in the big circle, and they put the small and the sick in the center. Hello, right? So that there's protection against the lion. And that's exactly what our fellowship is supposed to be. If you don't put you in the center of the circle, because now we got you where we want you, baby. Give me your money after I beat you. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. That's not what church is. It's so that we can protect one another. We can watch one another's back. We can encourage one another. We can speak to one another words of encouragement, words of exhortation. We can pray over one another. And the devil is hard at work in the church of Jesus Christ today to separate people. You can go to a church of 5,000 people and be all alone today. And I dare to say you could even go to a church of 100 people, if we're lucky, (laughs) and be alone. Everything in your walk and your relationship and your fellowship with Jesus Christ, he has accomplished everything. You understand? When all of his promises, that song we sang, all of his promises are yes and amen. It's already accomplished. He is the God that speaks things that are not as though they were. He's the God of miracles. He's the God of second chances. And you, your part in that is to reach out to him. That's it. To accept that gift. Not just one time, see on the other side. Every single day. That's why the Bible says daily, take up your cross 
and follow after him daily. What does that mean to take up your cross every single day? Not just to afflict yourself, not just to say no to your flesh, but to take up the cross and remember whose you are. Remember to whom you belong and to that cause to which you were called every day. Every day. And then you can consider it pure joy. And everything that happens and everything that the world has to offer, guys, we're in it together. We're in it together. Let's not go it alone, man. Let's not go it alone. So the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction of the preacher, right, who, where, when attendance is down in church, is to preach a message about church attendance and how you should be in church. I am, if you may not know this about me, and if you haven't known me for that long, you'll find out I'm different. I'm a little bit different. I'm just a little, I'm a wacko. You've got to be careful what you say to me, okay? I'm a little odd. I will, I can't, the, I, the very notion of me pressing you to doing something that you don't want to do makes me sick. I'm a freedom guy. I'm a live free or die guy. You know what I'm saying? Like that's my nature. I want you free. I want you free. The Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom. Not to be entangled again in a yoke and bondage of sin. And also not to be entangled again in a yoke and bondage of religion. Or man's control over your life. You understand? If you are in Christ Jesus this morning, you answer to him. I'm a cheerleader. That's my job. I'm a cheerleader. And sometimes a coach a little bit. And I'm up here to encourage you guys and hopefully to open up the scriptures in such a way that the Lord speaks through it and makes you hungry for more of the scriptures so that you'll grow in the faith. But I can't tell you how to live your life. Can you imagine having to take advice on how to live your life from a sprinkler fitter? You know what that means if you're a sprinkler fitter. It means school was not for you. You probably made some mistakes. Maybe did a little jail time, okay? I'm a, uh, that's it. It is just what, is what we fitters are. Okay, and I'm a sprinkler fitter. I'm just a fitter. I'm a pipe fitter. Okay, and God said, you're going to preach. Oh, well, just where? Tell me where. That's it. That's all I am. And your brother in Christ. Jesus wants a personal walk with you. And maybe you're ripping yourself off today. Maybe you're allowing the enemy to rip you off. If you're walking around and wallowing in self-misery and doubt and fear and you find yourself feeling like you're entangled, you find yourself like Peter, who walking at the water, uh, uh, maybe at one point in his life walking on the water, and now you find yourself feeling that you're sinking, Jesus Christ is the answer to that. And, and, I'm, and I'm not, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Jesus Christ is not the God of changing your circumstances. Can I get an amen? You listen, if you come to Jesus, if you come to Jesus, he's, you're a king's kid. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to train in that you go for a Bugatti. He wants you to have a house, a mansion on the hill. And he doesn't want you to ever get sick. I, 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 I can't find it. I just don't ever find it. Consider it all joy when you suffer afflictions. It's like, no, hello, Paul, I'm an American. I'm not supposed to suffer afflictions. And you ever see, they call them the tattoo verses, you know? You see the arm, you know, the, the athlete, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Watch me punch this guy's face in, you know what I mean? 
And if it, do you understand, do you, Philippians, when it talks about I can do all things, Paul is talking about the fact that in Jesus Christ, walking with Christ, having fellowship with Christ, has given him the ability, no matter what his circumstances are, whether he finds himself in plenty, and he finds himself with, uh, with, with luxuries and good things, and he finds himself in good health, or if he finds himself in stocks in a dungeon... In both circumstances, he can serve, honor, obey, and praise the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what it means to be more than a conqueror. Hello. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what it means to be a conqueror in Jesus Christ. It's not that everything goes my way. It's that I'm always going his way. Amen? Open with me to Leviticus, if you will. Chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16, and I'm picking up in verse 20, and we are talking today about the Day of Atonement, which if you have a a calendar that has Jewish holidays on it, this would be Yom Kippur. It is the Day of Atonement. And this is the day, this is the one day of the year that God set aside for all the things that pertained to the nation of Israel to be atoned for. Now I want to read through very quickly, uh, and, I, and I want you to take notice of some things. If we go back to the beginning of, of verse 16, uh, or excuse me, of chapter 16, and I want to go down to... Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, verse 11. 1611. Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. This is inside the holiest place. This is now inside the veil where the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony was. And only one time a year, and only the high priest was allowed to go through this veil into what was called the holiest of holies. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. So Aaron was to, or the high priest was to take this, the coals from the altar, and he was to mix it with the incense. Jewish tradition says that they would actually walk through the veil sideways like this so that he didn't look directly at the Ark of the Covenant. You've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? I'm not sure if it looked exactly like that when God smoked people from the Ark, but in my, I like to think that it did. Okay, so he, 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 would, so Jewish, he would go sideways through the veil. Okay, so he would not look directly at, and then he would put the incense before the Lord, and the smoke of that incense would fill the holy place until the ark was not clearly seen. But the place was filled with smoke and was filled with incense, and only then could he approach the mercy seat. Now, the Bible says that incense in heavenlies, in the kingdom of God, the incense, that altar of incense, that incense that comes up before God is the prayers of the saints. Everything in the Old Testament, everything in the tabernacle worship and later in the, in, the, in, the, in the temple worship was for us a direct picture, an example of something that we were going to have in Jesus Christ. 
It's a picture of something. God was giving the children of, of, of Israel just little pieces of a puzzle. And the Bible talks about the fact that the prophets of old and the priests of old longed to look into these things. They, they, they looked at it like, a, like the Bible talks about looking through a glass dimly. They didn't have a clear picture. They didn't understand why God had commanded them to do all of these things. They didn't understand the very ceremonies that they were commanded to do. They didn't understand what they fully meant. They were only being obedient to God. They didn't understand all the prophecies that God gave for the prophets to give to the people. They only understand that that's what was God was saying. They didn't have to understand its meaning. That is a great lesson for you and I. I don't have to understand what he's doing. I don't have to always know what his purpose is. I simply need to obey him. I simply need to do that which I know he's called me to do. To be obedient. And so here we have a picture of a high priest entering into the holiest place, the most holy place, sideways, not looking directly at the Ark of the Covenant, the testimony, the Ten Commandments were inside of that, all of God's laws, all of God's promises. And then the Ark was covered, of course, on top with what was called the mercy seat. But before Aaron could even turn himself to face the mercy seat first, there had to be that cloud that filled the holy place. An example of prayer, of prayer. How do we come to God? How do we come before God? Now, the Bible says that we come into the throne room because of what Jesus Christ has done for us boldly. That doesn't mean we come kicking in the door. Daddy's home. Where's, you know, no, no, no. No, no, understand, understand. Every single day Jesus Christ rose up, first one to get up in the morning, and he was off by himself in prayer before the day started. Understand that when you read the stories of Jesus Christ healing the blind and healing the lame and touching the lepers and feeding the 5,000, that that day started in prayer. That that day started with Jesus alone by himself on his knees saying, Father, I need you. I can't do this without you, Jesus. And if Jesus has to do that, oh boy, where does that leave me? That I would presume that I could do the work of God without prayer. That God has given us, this is your incense, saints. This is your incense. Let it rise in your worship to God. Uh, And then... Verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Now remember, the bull, he's already made sacrifice. He's already made atonement for himself and for his family. The high priest on this day of atonement, on Yom Kippur, he was here by himself. He was in the, in the tabernacle doing all of this alone. There was no other priest that was to be in there, and he himself was not even to wear his priestly garments, but only the linen ephod that was to go under the priestly garments. The linen ephod. Is that me knocking around? Okay, never mind. The the linen ephod that went under the priestly garments... Okay, there is, if you, we read through about the priestly garments, remember you have the gold and you have the gemstones and you have the crown. All of that was to be removed. Any kind of kingly, priestly, costly adornments was put aside on the Day of Atonement and the priest dressed himself commonly. 
And there he served alone in the temple of God. And first he would make atonement for himself and for his family. Because even the high priest, and and Jewish tradition says that for the seven days leading up to the day of atonement, the priest would not go home, but he would stay in the tabernacle for seven days, offer the daily sacrifices himself, seek after God, and have read to him over and over again the law of God concerning the day of atonement, lest on that day he go in improperly and die. Think of the levity. Think of the power of that day and of that moment and of that time. And he goes in first because he needs atoning for, even though he's been doing everything right, even though he's the man of God called for this time, he needs atoning for, man, because he's a sinner. And his kids, they, well, they certainly need atoning for. I mean, everybody in his family, they need atoning for. And then the goat comes next. He shall kill the goat of the sinner offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil again to the holy place. And do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. The blood of the sacrifice for himself, for his family, and now for the people of God. Sprinkled on God's mercy seat. Which encapsulated God's truth. Which which covered God's justice and God's law. That commands that for sin there is one penalty. And that is death. And that is separation from God. And yet God, when he had them build that, ta- that, that ark of testimony, he had them put the law of the covenant inside of the ark, and he covered it with his mercy. Hello. What was he saying to you and me? And then that mercy seat covered, sealed, anointed with the blood of the sacrifice. And so he would do the same thing with the goat. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, I went too far. He, uh, verse 16, so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. What? Atonement for it. Now I understand making a blood atonement for people. I understand the sacrifice that had to be made for the sins of people. But you're telling me that the altar had to be atoned for? Let's talk about this. Let's, let's read further. He'll go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Even our worship, even our religion, even the things that we do for God have to be atoned for because they're tainted by who? Us. You know, anybody who has the idea that our goodness or our good deeds in any way, any shape or form, at any time and for any reason could ever bring us justification before God is mistaking themselves. 
The Bible says that our righteousness, all the good deeds you've ever done, every good thought you've ever had, every good deed you've ever done has, is like filthy rags. And that word that's used there for filthy rags, that is the rags that was used to wrap the sores of someone who had leprosy. And we just went through the chapters on leprosy. It's a death sentence. It's the most unclean thing that there could possibly be in the camp or in a person. That's what my righteousness is. That's what my good deeds are. There is no teeter-totter, my friends. There is no teeter-totter. There is no scales of justice like we have in front of some of our courts. There's only us guilty. When Jesus Christ came and he began to teach them on the mountain and he began to talk to the disciples, remember what he said to them. Remember what he said to them. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests and the teachers of the law, you will in no ways enter the kingdom of heaven. They were flabbergasted at that statement. Who's more righteous than a priest? Who's more righteous than a rabbi? Who's more righteous than a man of God? And Jesus' whole point as he taught the Sermon on the Mount was to show all men that we are guilty. Jesus didn't teach the gospel to make us us, uh, justified. He taught it to make us guilty. Everything. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look upon a woman to have lust with her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You have heard it said that sh- thou shalt not commit murder. But I tell you, if you hate your brother without cause, you have already committed murder in your hearts. And right there, Jesus took that whole crowd of self-righteous people and turned them into a, a, a group of murdering, thieving, adultering, stealing, wicked sinners. Why? So they could be pointed to the cross. The Bible says that all of the laws that were given by God to Moses, those handwriting of requirements, the law, the Bible says, which are against us because they are contrary to us. Remember what Paul says? I know that the law is good. You know what the problem is? I ain't. St. Paul says this, called himself the chief of sinners. And you know the kind of people Paul ministered to. The worst of the worst. He said, I'm their chief. I'm their chief. Because Paul understood that outside of Jesus Christ, my sin makes me guilty. That's it. That's what the gospel is. Well, why do you call it good news then? That doesn't sound like good news. You just told me I'm a lying, thieving, murdering adult. You know, that sounds like terrible news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he has taken all of our sin and all of our our iniquities and all of our wickedness and all of our guilt and it was nailed to the cross. His sacrifice, his atoning sacrifice on that day, that's why he said it is finished. You know this stuff. The word that he said, the word that he spoke was tetelestai. That means literally paid in that means when the accuser your accuser satan stands before the throne of god and he says did you see pat this week did you see him i mean you can, he calls himself a child of god did you his the thought he did you see his attitude did you see this one? Oh, steve hicks oh don't get me started on steve let's see who else can i you know right it goes on and on oh frank thomas oh frank thomas and gabriel shouts out from across the throne room hey, i don't know if there's any hope for that one 
And Jesus Christ clears his throat. This is all in my mind, of course. This isn't how it really goes down. But Jesus Christ clears his throat, and he says, "Uh, excuse me, paid in full. I'm justified. I'm justified. In his economy, I'm already sanctified. In his economy, I'm already glorified. The Bible says that I am sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. When Jesus Christ returns, when that trumpet sounds and he appears in the clouds and he looks out amongst the sea of his people, he's going to see in each and every one of us who belong to him the seal that was put on us on our day of redemption. When we cried out, have mercy on me, a sinner. When we cried out, I'm not good enough. My religion isn't good enough. My works aren't good enough. I need the atoning blood of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of his spirit to help me do the things that I cannot do. Sealed. Sealed. It is finished. Paid in full. That's your standing. That's where you are at. And that's where God sees you. Don't you dare walk around with guilt. Don't you dare walk around condemning yourself or allowing the enemy to condemn you. You are sealed. You are just and righteous and holy because God doesn't just see you. He sees you with the seal and he sees you sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I just don't have anything else. I got no better news. There's nothing else I could tell you. I hope the Giants win today. Are you kidding me? First of all, the Giants... No, no. Don't get me started. Fly off into the flesh. There's just no better news out there. Oh, that's why gospel means good news. And Satan's got the whole world hoodwinked and bamboozled into believing that the gospel is hateful. And to believing because you have the audacity to say, I have to call that sin because that's what the Word of God says. And it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what kind of incense I want to offer before the Lord. It doesn't matter on which day I think I ought to serve and worship God. It doesn't matter the sacrifice that I think is appropriate for the house of God. It only matters what God says. Because He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of the universe. And He chose me. And he put his seal upon me. And he said, I want you to do one thing for me, son. I want you to honor my word. And when someone asks you, are you one of those Jesus people? I want you to say yes. And that's all that I have. There's nothing of more worth or more value in this world than being a child of Jesus Christ. And people are being lied to out there and told that it's a joke. Or lied to out there and told that it's hateful or spiteful, or marginalizing, or inclusive, or, excuse me, exclusive. It's not. It's for everybody. I would, you get my way. You see, Jesus told the parable. He went out, and he invited all these kings and princes and dukes and duchesses to his son's wedding, and none of them could come. Too busy. Got too many things going on. I got a great life. I don't really think I need that. I think I'm doing okay. I'm all set. That's the Syracuse thing. When you witness to people, I'm all set. I'm all set. Hey, let me talk to you about it. I'm all set. You know what I mean? And so the king said, I want you to now, I want you to go out to the highways and the byways. I want you to go to the slums and I want you to go to the alleys and I want you to go to the homeless shelters and invite them. I wish I could fill this place with nothing but prostitutes and homosexuals and drug addicts and transvestites. I don't give a rip. 
They don't need to change their ways. They need to meet Jesus. That's it. Who am I? I'm going to tell you how you should live your life, and I'm going to tell you what you need to change and what you need to stop doing. You need to meet Jesus. You need to meet Jesus. And I believe and I trust and I know that if someone meets Jesus, he'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. He's going to show them the way, the way a loving father does, not a jerk brother like me. Because you all seen siblings, right? You ever have kids? You ever said, would you, would, you, would, you, would you please not hit your brother in the head with a baseball bat? I'd appreciate it. Thank you. He's bleeding now. Would you get me a napkin for your brother? You know. Then sometimes we take care of each other like this. Oh, I'll take good care of you. Oh, boy, I'll take good care of you. Oh, did you see? Lord, I just pray for Brother John. Oh, Lord, I know that you probably are just ready to kick him right off the cliff into the, you know. But I'm not like, Lord, I pray. Oh, God wants us to act like Jesus acted. He never accused. He never judged. He loved and he told the truth. Hey, and they killed him for it. You think if I love people and if I just tell people the truth, everyone's going to like me. They killed him for it. But that's what we're called to do, to be like Jesus, to reflect his image. And so we have here in Leviticus this beautiful picture. Jesus, of course, we're taught in Hebrews, is our high priest. And Jesus occupies all, the, all of the, the positions that we find in chapter 16 of Leviticus. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. There was two goats. There was the regular goat, and then there was the scapegoat. The regular goat was sacrificed. The scapegoat, and it was chosen through lots, they would put their hands on the goat. They would, they would confess all the sins of the nation of Israel. That must have taken a time. And then they would take that goat, and it would be released into the wild. It would be released. It would be set free. Jesus is both the sacrifice and he's also the one that took our sins away. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. Jesus Christ is also our high priest. He is the one who makes the sacrifice that was himself for us. And he did it as a man, not with priestly garments and not with kingly robes. He did it in the tunic of a man, a commoner, a carpenter, a tradesman. The Bible says he had no form or comeliness that anyone would be drawn to him. He didn't have a beautiful face. And have you seen these Jesus movies? I mean, that's the best-looking Jesus I've ever seen in my life. Jesus was so good-looking. I mean, everybody's following him. It's like, well, it's just, it's, I, there's a couple of guys, but there's hundreds of girls. I don't understand. They seem to love Jesus. Well, look how good-looking he is. The Bible says that he had no form or comeliness that anyone would be drawn to him. There was nothing about Jesus that stood apart. There was no halos. There was no glow. He didn't, wasn't the only Jew with blue eyes. You know, like in the... He was Irish. We know, but he was Jew. Wait, what? I don't understand. He was just a regular-looking Jew. He looked as Jewy as any Jew has ever looked. That's it. He looked like a Jewish guy, and he was a commoner. No one would ever pick him apart from anybody out of the crowd until he spoke, until he stepped out and touched someone. He's our high priest, and he makes atonement for you and for me. Man, that's some God. That's some God. I can't believe some of the things people worship. I can't believe, because all men worship. You see, you see how people are beating each other up in the streets? You know what I mean? They put on an Antifa t-shirt and a mask, and they go out looking for people to beat up because of politics. Don't get mad. Don't, don't get upset. Pray for those kids. 
understand that they call themselves atheists. There is no God, but all men worship. It's in the DNA. Your creator made you and built you to worship. You're going to worship something, whether it's sex or whether it's partying or whether it's sport or whether it's money or whether it's booze or whether it's whatever. You're going to worship something and you're going to pay a high cost and you're going to offer much for that which you worship. And that's all you see in the world today is people worshiping and it's all they know. And they need someone to tell them, I don't condemn you. And God doesn't condemn you. We love you. And Jesus is for you. And we need to tell them the truth. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And for your grace, Lord. For your mercy to sinners. Uh, Lord, we, I pray, Father, you just help us all to have open hearts. Lord, to just be honest, just be honest. We are who we are. You know every single thing about us, Lord. Help us to not try to hide from you like Adam and Eve, Lord, when they realized they were naked, to go running and hiding and trying to cover ourselves with good deeds or religion or, or success in this world or any other thing, Lord, but that we would just open ourselves up, Lord, to allow you to examine our hearts and our minds and to come into our lives and our homes and, Lord, to make us the people that you need us to be that you've called us to be. You're so great. You're so worthy, Lord, of all of our praise. And Father, we pray that you'd make us a people, a group of seekers who are always seeking after you, Lord, and things of you, who are always seeking to know more about you, Father, that we might better, uh, better be better equipped to do what you've called us to do, and that is to reflect the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We need to know him more. We need to know him better, Father. We pray that you would drive us to our knees in prayer, Lord, that we would be incense offerers, Lord. We would always be looking to pray, that we would understand how vital it is, Lord, for every single aspect of our lives and certainly of our walk with you, Lord. Lord, make us the people you want us to be. Fill us with your presence, Lord. Help us to be an aroma of life, Lord, to people in our lives who are perishing, who don't know you, Lord, who are lost in this world who maybe don't have hope or maybe think they got everything that they could ever want and they've got it all together, Lord, but don't have you. Help us to be an aroma of life to them as well, Father. That They could see the great need that they do have and help us to be just messengers, Lord, of the truth. Not to be judgmental, not to ever form our own opinions, Lord, but to be ready, willing, and able to serve anybody, anywhere, anytime, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you, fam.